and welcome to Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. I'm Wendy Hobbs. Today we're speaking with Ross Hewitt about quantity surveying in the insurance industry. Ross, let's start by explaining what it is that your firm does. We're a firm of construction consultants, if you will. A number of my number of my team are PQS, but we also have engineers, um, project managers, and we focus on insurance valuation and project management. So we get called in by we work for most national carriers, um, and they'll call us in when a property loss occurs, and where we have the task of establishing, you know, the the financial liability to the insurer, the project risk, if you will. Um, putting a scope of work together and also acting as prime consultant to assist in facilitating any design work that's required or dealing with with any of the municipalities or cities or uh, local authorities. Ross, what's the process that your company goes through after a loss? Well, I'll take take a couple of, uh, I'll use a couple of examples because the work we do is so varied, not one, it's not like we're working for banks where you're project loan monitoring big developments and all these condos and high-rises are largely the same with a few design exceptions. Um, So I'll take a house fire, for example, because house fires are more commodity in terms of insurance. There's lots of them, high volume, one of the most frequent loss types. Um, So when a, if it's, we'll assume it's a total loss fire, uh, so the house has, you know, burned the foundation. Typically we'll we'll come in and we'll we'll go with an engineer. So the engineer will be signing off the slab or condemning the slab. Will then, if the house is a total loss, so there's no no finishes, no finishes or fixtures left to see, we'll then have to sit down with the insured, the homeowner, and basically go through and do a, a scope of work, if you will. So we have preset forms. We'll work through it, help jog their memory, try to remember what was there, um, and put a detailed scope of work together, um, and also do an outline drawing. Uh, that scope of work will then be. Uh, actually, I'll rewind a little bit because I'm jumping straight into it. The first thing we get asked to do is provide a, a reserve. It's called a reserve estimate. So that reserve estimate, I guess, in the in, in CIQS terms, would be a Class D estimate. Um, it's very high level. We use benchmark data to arrive at it. Um, and the reason the insurance company wants that right away uh, is legally, and I can't remember the, the exact legislation because it's with the finance legislation but they have to when that when a loss occurs the insurance company must set aside uh, the funds required for that particular loss so how do they then so how do they know what funds are required with any degree of accuracy well the answer is they don't so they come to us and and say well what does this 2,000 square foot home cost to rebuild in your opinion And, and again it's benchmark data because we're then going to tender that process out and get market value but the initial start is they have to set that aside. So that money can't be touched by them to invest, which is what insurance companies use their money with. So we will, will attend site, collect all that information, put an re- initial report together, which outlines what we believe the reserve to be, the, the financial liability. Um, we'll then recommend a project critical path to the insurer, which will include, um, in most cases, tendering. So we'll tender the demolition out. Um, and then we in a lot of times, depending on the age of the house, we have hazardous materials to deal with. So we'll bring in an environmental consultant, a hygienist. Um, we use DF Technical a lot for that. They're an Alberta-based company. So they'll come in and put an uh, abatement scope of, get, of work together to tie in with, with our scope. Um, and then that will be then issued. Typically on the emergency part, it gets issued to the, the preferred vendors of the insurance companies. They have a preferred list and that's where that goes. And 
when, once that process is done, we shore up the scope with the with the insured, make sure the the that the scope reflects pre-loss condition. One of the tricky things, of course, is that if the building's a complete loss, you very much have to rely on the on the input of the insured. And obviously apply our own construction knowledge because we don't expect the insurers to to understand what type of joists they had or what type of framing they had. Um, so so we assist in that. Um, and then we issue that to tender. Typically the new home builders, if it's a rebuild, it doesn't make much sense to invite a restoration contractor because that's not what they specialize in. Um, and then we'll we'll issue that out. I, I call it a tender, but there's a there's a bit of a a misconception, if you will, in insurance. It's called tender and bidding, but in actual fact, compared to what we're used to in CCDC and all, and all the rest of it, it's really an invitation to quote because there's no obligation between between the insurer or the insured to accept the lowest price for that work. So it's, we're establishing a quote for the homeowner, and what that does is that sets the market value so the homeowner can then decide to go which whatever contractor they want, or if they want to take a cash settlement. In a, uh, de- so we have to then depreciate the value of the estimate. So let's say we've established the replacement cost for your home is half a million dollars. Now they they and the insured says, you know what, I'm going to sell the land and I'm going to move to BC, and if they so they just want to cash out. And so what the insurer does is asks us to then depreciate that estimate. So typically you would take into account the age of the building and the various materials and depreciate accordingly. You know, every, and again, there's cost books, cost manuals that tell you the life expectancy of the various components. And so our team will work through that and depreciate. And again, it's a very, it can be a qualitative assessment, very much so, because you're relying on the experience of the appraiser to determine the remaining useful life of building elements. And quite often, when there's no building elements left, it then becomes even even more difficult to do when you very much again rely on the the insured, if you will, the individual that we're going over the loss with. So that would be that would be a typical commodity residential losses, um, and we also deal in fairly large complex claims. I mean, the probably the easiest one to reference that everyone will be familiar with. Do you remember in? Uh, it doesn't seem that long that long ago now, but November two thousand seventeen. The cineplex that was being built in the southeast had a fire. Do you remember that at all? So in Seton, there was a big cineplex being built, um, and it had it was in the final stages of completion. I believe about ninety percent complete. Hadn't installed the fire suppression system. Um, had had a, a loss occur. So in those instances, we got brought in by the COC insurer for the course of construction, and then. This instance, both insurers, one for, for the actual building owner, they they happen to have trust in our firm, and so both insurers appointed us. That can sometimes be a conflict if there's recovery going on and subrogation, but if both insurers agree, then it's not a conflict. So we acted on, on, on the behalf of the insurers there and again came in, set the reserves. Again, even... It becomes increasingly, it's a difficult task to set reserves because I've been asked by clients to set a reserve and the building's still on fire. So, you know, you know, it's, there's all these, unlike a regular quantity surveying role where you get given 60% drawings and you said, can you give me an estimated associated with these drawings? Well, whilst in this loss, we did have the drawings, there's no way to determine the full extent of the damage at the time of the loss. So it really does require... I want to say experience 
and, and understanding, you know, how smoke, because we're not just dealing with a fire that burns the building because you end up, you have the, the heat has caused potential structural issues. The smoke penetration throughout a building can be huge. I mean, I've seen water and smoke cause more damage than the actual fire itself. So we have to, and, and within three days, we'd set our reserves um, and we had to go through the building. A lot of assumptions are made. Again, the whole idea of the reserve is to establish the risk. So as long as you, some of the risks may not occur. So, you know, but as long as we outline them and say, you know, there's the potential for structural issues, you have the potential for asbestos, we have to identify that risk and put an associated cost to it for the insurer. And of course, if the risk doesn't occur, then, they, then the reserve can get, be updated and that risk removed from the list. Um, and within that job is what we also, also provided a, a clerk, of the, clerk of the works, if you will. Yeah, so you know what a, a clerk is, no? So clerk of the works, we, um, we put someone on site for the duration of the project, um, 12, well, the entire site opening time. And that clerk's responsible for uh, identifying all labor and materials in and out of the site because the site becomes a cost plus project. So in order to get them back to their 90% completion stage, a restoration contractor is brought in. And in this instance, it was it happened to be Belfour Restoration, um, and their job is to mitigate the damage. So effectively, demo, demo the site, do any cleaning mitigation that can be done, make the site secure. But in order to do that, they can't provide a fixed price estimate because very much like us, they don't know the extent of the damage. So our role there is to agree cost plus parameters um, with whoever that restoration contractor is, and then also clerk the job. So make sure that the productivity is there, it's staffed correctly, and it also makes auditing the cost plus work uh, a lot easier when you've been involved throughout of it. There's a lot of instances where we get asked to uh, do a forensic cost audit of work, um, which again can be can be difficult if you haven't been there. The, so let's say this this uh, cinema loss occurred and we weren't asked to clock the job. We were just given a bill at the end and said, please audit this which often insurers ask us to do. And you get put in the erroneous position of having to critique someone's invoicing and bill and labor hours. And as you can appreciate, contractors often get defensive with that. Um, but that's our, that's our role. There are a large number of unknowns when dealing with loss. What are some of the things you use when it comes to dealing with that? About our role? Um, is that every project is different is different some are similar you know i mean a condo fire typically you know the same all around with, with little variances so it, it is to do with experience because we don't just do it we don't just put a replacement cost value of the building together and then add 20 percent contingency just in case because again yes contingency reflects the risk in a project but we we're being hired as experts to hone in on what the risks are and, and, and it really does come down to experience. So we have a, because we've done so many of them, I mean, our company handle about 3,000 property losses a year. Um, so you, we see, see a lot of what goes on. And so we basically have a checklist on the type of loss of what we might incur. And don't get me wrong, you're always learning. Um, an example, you know, we, we managed to uh, value engineer. Um, we had, you might remember Inglewood, there was a big fire last summer. Um, so we got involved in that um, as part of our, our, our role 
uh, we come in, establish the design team. And in that instance, we knew a design team was going to be required for the city. So they were going to see, want to see updated drawings because of the age of the building. So we had to have mechanical, electrical, architectural, structural, and we, we project manage that. So we act as the prime consultant to bring that in. In those instances, we can often identify a lot of the risks because we've brought in a whole design team to walk through the building. So having other experts also assists in that process. Um, a big cost to insurers now, uh, code compliance. So this is something that you don't really think of because when you build a new building, it's built to code, right? So it's, it's a given that this spec and, and this design is built to the current building code. Well, when we go into 20, 30, 40, 50 year old buildings, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact date, but uh, there was, you know, some of the buildings we go in, there was no building code at the time of construction. It was sort of best practice. Now, what that means is, so we see some interesting. So identifying those risks, again, become more difficult. But it's just a case of having dealt with them and, and having had the experience in those losses. So does that answer, answer yeah. where we're going? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's no, the, 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 the short answer is there's a lot of, it is a lot of experience in that industry. So you don't see as many PQSs in our line of industry. And a lot of the consultants that come from, that come into our, our niche, if you will, come from restoration contractors. So they're used to estimating based on, on, on restoration. Um, the, the one thing I'd say though, I came from the new build world, if you will, to insurance, and it's a very steep learning curve because you can understand contract administration, you can understand what a bill of quantities is, but when you're operating in an industry that largely doesn't, then it becomes, you know, you have to apply your skills in your set and then also learn the intricacies of that industry to apply it. So I, what I find interesting in, in, in insurance, insurance are big financial institutions, very much like banks. So, when, and I go back to the bank example because it'll be most familiar with for the CQS, CIQS. They, so the bank will have a PQS project loan monitor and the bank is satisfied that a PQS has the credentials to, to monitor their loan for them, right? They trust in that designation, as they should. Now, in, a, in the insurance world, I know all of, my, all of our reports are peer-reviewed by a PQS at the very minimum. Um, the insurers don't require that sort of governing governance if you will like they, they can have someone appraise a property or determine the insurance to value who isn't doesn't have to have a designation that certifies them in that so i think that's one of the biggest challenges on our end is that it's one of the uh, i think that's one of the biggest challenges i face is that the the level of expertise involved in being a, it's not just understanding how to estimate there's a whole host of professionalism and understanding that goes with it, you know, when you're doing dispute resolution, litigation, all those things. And I find a lot of the, the biggest challenge is attracting those people to, to our industry. And also, on the other, we often, yeah, as you can imagine, insurers, you know, subrogate to each other, sue each other a lot. It's pretty common practice. Um, and we, get, we come in on the, the other side against other firms. Um, and that would be my biggest thing is I think insurance companies, there should be some sort of accreditation or requirement from, for the consultants appraising the work. Because again, it's like anything. I know, I know designations aren't everything. Experience is, is, is critical. But as an insurer handling vast sums of money, you should have some credentials associated. Because I mean, we do payment recommendations. You know, for all intents and purposes, on a, 
Again, I use the loan monitoring as an example. But when we get involved in an insurance loss like Inglewood, uh, our role is once the value is established through tendering, we'll then uh, do payment recommendations, recommend a release of the next draw once the agreed stages are hit up. But we do that on behalf of the insurer. So we'll say, Mr. Insurer, you can now release this 30% draw because the work completion is at that stage. And we do what's called a payment recommendation. So very similar, we just happen to be operating for insurers. Every project is just so different. I mean, I you know we went into you might have saw in Red Deer that RDI IM works that coal fire. You know we were we were brought in by the insurer to assist on that. Again, you you're coming in and, and you're having to put a, a a fairly detailed scope a, a, a scope of work together and a contractor can price. So it has to be somewhat detailed. So again, it it just outlines we're coming there. The building was effectively a slab, and so our job is to now. What was there? Go. You know, you don't have, that just doesn't occur. No, nowhere else are you expected to understand how that building, to forensically determine how that building went together. Right? That's, and that's one of the, that's probably one of the most interesting parts of, the, the, of our role on every, on every loss, is just seeing how that building was put together and what's required to remediate it. And we often find ourselves in positions where the insure, what's called a total constructive loss. So as you know yourself, you know, you can always fix a building in construction. Always fix it. It's just what is the cost to do that? I mean, with the exception if there's, you know, foundations completely done, you wouldn't fix it. But typically you can, you can always fix a building. And so our job is often to come in and say, well, this is what it would cost to completely tear down that building. And this is what it would cost to repair it. And quite often they're quite close together. And so when we're preparing that, we then have to advise our clients, the insurer, on which route we'd recommend. And sometimes, again, even if the, even if the repair is, is, is uh, less costly than, than the reconstruction, sometimes they'll, they'll go with the reconstruction because of simplici simplicity. A lot of times, again, you don't know what else is damaged in that building. And you're making a lot of assumptions so the risk element's often a lot higher with that and in fact we just did that in edmonton another uh, it was another condo 90 units occurred right after the calgary uh, almost two weeks after the calgary uh, inglewood fire um, <clears throat> and that was it the building was half damaged and we had to go in and put together a pretty detailed scope and estimate to repair it and rebuild it and we tended both of those both options out to to developers to see which one would be more cost effective and the and the, the costs came in ah you know 10% very 10% uh, 10% less to repair it um, but it made more sense to go with the rebuild simply with home warranty the city dealing with the city there was a lot of risks in the repair given to the age of the building so just an example of what, what else we we do for our clients. Which is easier to deal with, a partial loss or a complete loss from your perspective? For our work, I'm going to say the repair is more challenging every time because with a total loss, it, it, you, have, you have time almost. Time and you're able to put that building together from the ground up because you know what components are required. I mean, yes, some of the finish finishes are going to be specific to, to the, the insured, but again, you know how that building goes together. You know what goes into it. Whereas with the repair, again, repairing an older building, 
can often be complex and there's just and a big thing for us as well whenever we get in a lot of the times the insureds the person whose property it is the building owner often prefer the new build option than the repair option so that can quite often make it a little difficult if you know if they they're adamant they want a new building and and we're saying well it doesn't really quite make financial sense to do that that can often be a, a difficult subject to approach so but yeah no i mean but definitely the 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 total loss rebuild is definitely the easiest also you leave less room for change orders because if you're repairing a site and yes the restoration contractor the idea is to um put make that building safe and ready for reconstruction but a lot of the times when a contractor gets in there and begins the repair work you know things start to they find additional loss related damage that couldn't be seen before because that demo hadn't taken place so quite often it can evolve a little bit that and you definitely leave yourself open and and, and that's more on commercial and large residential i mean on house house fires are the others usually the most straightforward to do um but i mean we get involved in some real interesting ones without giving the specifics just because of confidentiality but we we've done uh we've done pipeline losses in in across northern alberta um we have a big silo loss right now in, in bc that our team are handling and very much very similar to what i just mentioned there our team are putting together an estimate to determine is cleaning the silo from fire and smoke damage going to be cost effective or are we better off uh, replacing that silo and, and ordering the components in so yeah we see a, a huge array of building types and losses and you wouldn't and the big thing that surprised me when i came into this industry was that when i was in new construction you don't you just don't give a thought to property losses like you know you don't give a thought to fires occurring to to water losses occurring like you know they happen but you don't really think with any sort of volume but it actually but again there's a whole industry of insurers and adjusters and and they and it's interesting they call us appraisers in the insurance industry we're not by definition to us an appraiser you know that's 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 real estate right market value real estate appraiser whereas in the insurance industry they've kind of coined the term and we call our team appraisers simply to fit in with the the line of the the, the niche we operate in because if we start calling ourselves quantity surveyors the you know insurers associate with others appraisers so you get the question what's a quantity surveyor and good oh the best one you hear is quantum surveyor i get that a lot in canada one of Ross's bigger projects was while he was working in New Zealand after the earthquake in Christchurch. Yeah, so that's interesting. It's, so that's how I uh, got into the line of work we're in. Not, not in the same capacity. So I moved to Christchurch in 2011 uh, to work on the earthquake. I got uh, an old boss of mine invited me out there because he started consultancy. And again, it was, it was doing est- provide, uh, putting together estimates for contractors for repair work. So it was almost a QS office. The, the contractor would get the file from the insurers and they'd get us to price it for them. So that was a sort of system that had been set up. So I did, that was the first exposure to insurance. And then I, uh, I was there for a couple of years. And, you know, Christchurch is a lovely city, but it's very much a, um, once it had a, you know, a large earthquake, it was a small city to begin with. I didn't see myself staying there. So after a couple of years, I had a friend here who's a PQS as well. And I got invite, and I got asked to come out and work, work for them. And I did that for a few months. For me, I, wasn't, I found the sitting in front of a computer and doing estimates, say, 10 hours a day wasn't really 
my strong suit. Like I can do it, but I didn't love to do that all the time. I'm very client facing. Um, and I got headhunted for a, now a competitor of ours. Um, and they specialize in this line of insurance. And that's how I, I got into it. Um, and then when I, would, I, I worked in that around a year and decided to, to branch out on my own. And uh, that's how I met my business partner, Mark Bure, who's based in uh, Gatineau, Quebec there. And he'd been doing this for 20 years out east. And we started up our Western team. And we've had, yeah, we've had, like, over the last three years have been uh, rapid growth. We've now, we're now at 50 employees across Canada. Um, 40 of those are, are appraisers, if you will, quantity surveyors. Um, and yeah, and there's lots of, lots of big, Lots of big plans on the cards right now. We're looking to expand our services as well to offer more than just quantity surveying. So yeah, there's lots. It's been an exciting few years. Canada's been good to me. Does the cause of the loss make a big difference in your job? Whether it's something like a fire, a flood, or an earthquake. So there's you know there's the different there's different elements to consider depending on the loss type. I mean, you have the main ones you see are going to be water. You know, you flood. Typically, you know, a lot of the times we see with these uh, condos, your, your your water risers often break and flood the whole building. Multiple floors can get very costly to insurers. Um, but a lot of the times, an example we with those losses, the, the main things you think about are, first of all, well, how old's the building? Because depending on the age, again, we mentioned asbestos is often a concern. Uh, how long, when did the, when was the date of loss? And how long before it was attended by a contractor because you can deal with significant mold issues um, an example we dealt with a I won't mention the, the COC lost downtown last year uh, one of the towers the contractor didn't notify <coughs> didn't notify the insurers because again they were contractors so they thought they just they'd, they'd handle it themselves and put fans in all the rooms well of course they they didn't make any cuts to the drywall so there was no flow of air so effectively all you do is then incubate mold over 16 floors so to, that can but it can give you an example of just how how quick mold can grow given the right conditions so they're the big things that honestly they're the main things to consider and then when you anytime there's fire damage straight away structural that's your biggest usually your biggest concern with fire damage because it doesn't take much for the heat or the fire to compromise the integrity of the building um, but there's no, again, the cause of the loss often becomes mute because when, a moot point, because when we get there, again, we have to assess all the damages in their entirety. But they're definitely some of the, the things that come first to, to mind of what's required. And then when we put the reserves together, again, the big thing is how, because you can estimate what you can see. And the big part of our job is getting that crystal ball out and, and, and determining what what code is going to be enforced is the city because you'd be surprised that there's very i find there's very little consistency across canada in terms of what code gets enforced after a loss because the city it's very much every project they look at every project uh, in a different light so you know you'd think there'd be one code but the city can often grandfather things but it depends on the permitting officer some you know they understand a loss has occurred it's not a developer building a new project so again i'll use the the house fire example Right now, we're seeing the biggest issue we see in, in, in to insurers in BC is is permitting in the city of Vancouver. Uh, it takes 
12 months now on average to get a residential permit. That's not construction. That's 12 months to get all the consultants together required to apply for a permit and then for the city to review it. And, and in, in Calgary, it's about four weeks. So, but you can imagine from an insurance standpoint, if you've had, so let's say I insure your property and your property and you've got additional living expenses, ALE as it's called. Now, if it takes 12 months to get your permit to rebuild your house, straight away I've got 12 months of that additional cost that we didn't have before. So what, so why that's a huge issue to insurers, if you extrapolate that across all the businesses that they insure, all the, all the properties that they insure, that's a huge cost to them. So where we've come in and, and act as the prime consultant here to solve that issue, we'll now deal with that entire permitting process and we've reduced it to six months. Now, in my mind, six months is still an extortionate amount of time to, to, get, uh, to get the items together for a building permit because, I mean, it shouldn't be that complex to apply for a building permit. In every other city in Canada has managed to, to keep that rather reasonable with the exception of BC. Why that is, they just require a, a whole host of things that, you know, you have to get landscape architects, you have to get arborists for the trees, you have to get geotech for your soil and earthquake. So these are all individual consultants that have to be brought in to do their bit. So it's an overly complex process. And of course, we deal with it every single day because we get brought in to deal with the, the loss. So part of that is when you're tendering, the, that, that, the permit process, we get involved in that. How important is local knowledge in your job? Yeah, we work with, we're nationwide. So, I mean, I have offices in Victoria, um, Vancouver, Kelowna, Edmonton, Red Deer, Calgary, Saskatchewan, and Lethbridge. Now, honestly, uh, yes, the lo local knowledge is a huge part of what we do because, again, a lot of the times we have, we have an office in Sudbury, for example, northern Ontario. Now, that's still a fairly remote location. And so understanding who the main contractors are there, because there's only a handful that, are, that work up there and that are reputable. So knowing who they are, knowing who you can go to, knowing the, the permitting officer at the city of Surrey because he's been there for 30 years, all these local intricacies make a huge difference to how effective we are when we're brought in. You know, insurers like to bring... Uh, uh, quantity surveyors or appraisers they'll fly people in their trust to varying locations which is all well and good but again you if you don't have local knowledge in a specific area it can really be a handicap how do you see the role of quantity surveyors in loss management quantity surveying is very different in canada as than it is the uk and i think that maybe is just due to the how long the profession's been in existence and it's an interesting concept because i'm always selling the PQS, you know, the, the RICS, the CIQS, I'm always selling that knowledge group and that certification as something insurers should really have. And I personally think there's an opportunity for this, you know, CIQS similar to the, the pitch to they did to the banking industry that, you know, you need us to look after your construction. I think the, P, I think the CIQS should, should be very much pitching that to the insurance industry. And I know I do for our team. But I think there's definitely a, a market there that deals with, you know, some of these insurance losses, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so if you don't have a, if you don't have a certified and, and trusted consultant on there with, because you, you wouldn't have an engineer, a CET engineer, stamping out a building, like a structural design, would you? 
you know, and it should be the same. You shouldn't be able to put an estimate out without some sort of sign-off by the PQS. And I don't think we're there yet. I know insurance in the UK very much is there. Quantity surveyors are written into policies. And so it's a very much a, taken very seriously, the accreditation. It just hasn't quite reached here yet. But we find we do a lot of um, we do a lot of work with London, Lloyd's, the, the insurance syndicates. Um, and I think the, the quantity surveying background and accreditation, they're often, they understand what a quantity surveyor is and why it's important. So just trying to keep pushing that in our industry of the importance of what we do in our organization. What's the best part of your job? Well, for me, it's not, and again, I touched on this before, I was never an estimator to sit in front of a computer. If you wanted me to sit in front of a computer for eight hours and do estimates, I've done it because you have to do your time. There's only one way to, to learn how to do an estimate. Uh, but in, in our role, it's the, the constant variety keeps it interesting. I mean, I've only been in this, I've been in this insurance business five years and just every day is something new. Like you, the difference between a, you go work for a developer or you go work for one of the big quantity surveying firms like Altus, you're going to be sat in front of your desk doing quantity takeoffs. And yeah, you go to site to do all this stuff and that, and you know, you have to do that and understand it. And, you know, some people might enjoy that. It might be what they want. If you're an outgoing person and you like variety, our job is is what I would look to get into because you never know where you could be sent one day. Like, it's very, it's difficult to often plan workflow because it's very contingent on the weather. And if the weather and somebody doing something that caused an accident, you know, that's unfortunate. The business we're in is we help people get back to, a pre-loss state, um, so you're, you're helping people. Um, and as I said earlier, just the variety, I've got, a, I've got guys this week going to, flying to Dawson's Creek, flying to Winnipeg, and granted we've got teams everywhere, but the clients wanted these specific people. So just once you start to do more, it's just they'll, they'll fly out there, they'll be back Thursday, work, do, complete your work. You're not just sat in an office Monday to Friday. I mean, I do a lot more office time now managing the, the team and the company, but for, for the guys, they love it. It's a certain type of person you have to be because it's very, how, what's the word? You have to be very self, self-reliant self and self-motivated to do what we do. Um, but again, if you, if you enjoy that. And it's not just the one facet. You're not just doing estimates. It's also a huge element of project management. We're always having to value engineer. We always have to look and think, is there a... Is there a more cost-effective way to do this? You know, I mean, I've got guys now pricing, pricing out logistics to 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 Baker's Lake and none of it, which is in the middle of nowhere. How often do, does a QS, at one of the big firms, get to price those things out? So that's to me, it's the it's the ver- the variety, the and the excitement, and ultimately helping people get back in their properties, getting their businesses back up and running. There's a huge amount of satisfaction. Uh, with that that I don't think is talked about enough and I know it might sound all corny that you're helping people but you know we actually build relationships with these insureds you know like when we're working with a business owner who suffered a, a business interruption like a loss to a building they're relying on us and the amount of times that a lot of them are very thankful that we're there because we've taken taken a huge load off their plate and we're able to basically do all the work and come to them to make the decision you know, and people are grateful when, when you're busy and do that. So, And also with, you know, with homeowners, same thing. It's a, it's a different, it's like dealing, someone's had a very, 
a business owners are quite cut and dry. You know, this is a property, it's a business, we'll get it back. When you've lost your home, you're a lot more emotional. So that takes, you have to be empathetic to that. Um, so it takes a different type of person to deal with that. What's the most important skill in your work? Uh, empathy being one, of course. But uh, you, again, the I would say, well, construction knowledge is paramount, of course. You know, you have to understand how that, how that all works. Um, and as I mentioned before, just... Uh, the the drive you have to be very self motivated. I mean, the, actually, those are the things I look for. I would say, I'm sure you can be successful without them. But in terms of our team, that drive, self motivation, knowledge, and discipline are the things that you know we we see in our team. But again, the I would say, you know, we're in a position now where we're looking. We've got a lot of senior staff, and and we will be looking to bring on bring on people to train, as in a, in a program associated with that. But in term but eagerness is the big thing i'd say if you're coming fresh out of university you've done your degree at SAIT and you want to work towards your pqs but that 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 hunger and that want to do well is 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 a huge factor i'd say in landing landing a job out of university i mean i i land i managed to land a job in 2008 coming out of university right in in england so again, if you're willing to work and you've got that aptitude, that's the biggest thing. Thanks to Ross Hewitt for joining us today. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.